welcome to the Frogcast. We're not as excited as we were a week ago when the Frogs won in Austin. Frogs lose a heartbreaker, 21-14 to to Kansas State at home. Tough loss, tough loss. We're going to talk about what happened, uh, what went right, what went wrong on both sides of the ball. Dig in a little bit on the state of the program and take a glance around the rest of the Big 12 in the national landscape. That and a whole lot more on this episode of the Frogcast. Jeremy. It's been a wild 24 hours here, has it not? Everybody's calm, level-headed, uh, just like everybody is on social media. They're really, um, you know, even-keeled, not divisive. Um, how, how's everything going on your end of the spectrum? It's going great, man. I have, I've had a great Sunday. Me too. I had a great Sunday. Uh, had the most people that we've had back at church since we reopened. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of happy about that. Things are up and to the right there. Had a big children's ministry event, kind of um, distanced and outdoors and all that kind of stuff. But had a good day at church. So I'm grateful for that. But then I look at the game. Go ahead. I was gonna, just going to say uh, horrible injury for Dak Prescott on Sunday, but Andy Dalton's in there for the Cowboys and looks like they I- got the win. I know. I, I just got the text that they got the got the win. So, good night, man. Is there anybody better for for NFL than Dak Prescott? I love that guy. I do. <laughs> man, it was heartbreaking watching him get carted off the field. Field, so you know. I like that he plays with heart. I love. Um, I love that he's. I love that he's the Cowboys quarterback. And I, I mean, I love that he speaks up on mental health. I, I really, really respect that guy. Um, Travis Heim, our buddy, just tweeted that he, he figures that's the last time that uh, uh, Dak Prescott ever wears a Cowboys uniform, and that kind of made me sad. Um, oh, man, that's why you get those contracts. That's why he wanted that contract. Yep. Uh, well, things did not go the way we wanted. Frogs lose 21-14 to Kansas State. Heartbreaker there in Fort Worth. Um, a lot of things went right. You know, I'm just going to start with that. And then, of course, plenty of things went wrong. <sighs> Jeremy, we're going to talk about defense and we're going to talk about offense, but I'm just going to give you the floor. What's your gut reaction 24 hours after that game? It's not very good. I mean, I'm I'm right there alongside a lot of the people that are uh, frustrated. I mean, I'm not I'm not frustrated. I don't get into it like you guys uh, Crazy as it sounds, I'm not one of you guys. I'm not a diehard fan. I don't my my weekends aren't ruined if TCU loses. My weekends aren't great if they win. I'm I'm there to report. Um, disappointed in the fact that you always want to have a good program to write about. I remember the days of 2009, 2010, 2014, 15. It's always it's always a lot smoother when you have a program that's that's headed in the right direction to write about. Um, but disappointed in the way because that was obviously the worst they've played all year long. They they played uh, not great against Iowa State, but I saw enough in Iowa State that led me to believe that this team could be good. And then they go down to Austin. They, they play Texas. They continue to dominate that series since joining the Big 12. And you see TCU's offense have so much improvement through the first two games uh, compared to last year. And then you look at what they put on the field against Kansas State, and I think I even wrote a story about it, how they reverted back to their old ways. And it's disappointing because they had – so this this was a game where so many people were 
were hoping that TCU would just go out there and dominate because all the ingredients were there. Kansas State was giving up 492 yards per game. They ranked ninth in the Big 12 in total defense. They were starting a true freshman quarterback on the road for the first time. Now we all know the environments aren't as crazy on the road as they used to be, but you're still starting a true freshman at quarterback. You're starting a true freshman at running back. TCU is supposed to be very good defensively this year, and we'll get to defense here in a little bit, but I think uh, it, it's just – I don't know. I don't know where they're at right now. I don't know if it's taking uh, coaching changes. Um, for me personally, none of that's going to happen this year during the season. I know fans are going to be clamoring for it. They need to make changes. Gary's not the type of guy that's going to do that during the middle of a season. Um, a lot of you guys are saying Gary's too old for all this, and I don't know if you're right. I don't know if you're wrong. Uh, he he obviously has to rot the ship, but I I don't think I don't think he's ready to retire, and I I dang sure know TCU's not ready to to let him go either. So for you guys that want to see him gone after this year, I'm I'm sorry to tell you you're you're probably not going to get your wish. But just overall disappointing, man. This this was a game I thought, and all of us thought, Jeff, that that TCU would probably come out there and and play great on offense, play great on defense, and come away with at least a, a two-touchdown, maybe even a 17-point victory over a pretty good Kansas State team, but just didn't happen. Just didn't happen the way we thought it would. It did not happen the way that we thought it would. That's the easiest way to put this. It did not go the way that we wanted it to. You know, I'm somewhere in the diff- and I'm somewhere in the middle. I don't know if it's being 45 now. I mean, I, I live and die with the team because I love the program and I love and and I, I love the school. I mean, I have two degrees from here. When we win, I love it. I love strutting around um, town with the TCU hat on in the middle of SEC country. I do have a Longhorn that's uh, she's a real she's a leader in our church. And I, man, I my chest was 50 feet wide last Sunday. But there's, there, there's no K-State fans here to kind of poke a finger in my chest like it was when I lived in DFW where you had the whole, you know, the whole old Southwest Conference in my church and that kind of stuff. But um, even though I kind of live and die with it at the same time, I'm like, this is this is just where we are at this moment. That doesn't mean I'm not happy. That doesn't mean I'm, I'm, I'm content. That doesn't mean I don't think there should be changes. But um, I think it was Daniel that said in our pregame, uh, you know, this whole season is a mulligan. Um, I'm not saying that I wish we'd go 0 and 9 or that if we went 9 and 0, I wouldn't buy the hat, but this is a weird year and it's getting expressed in a lot of ways. Um, I'm, I'm going to go all pastoral here if that's all right. Do I have your permission, Jeremy? Yeah, you do whatever you want. It's your show. Every, every weird thing right now is an expression of what's going on below the surface. And when I see a guy run the wrong route, when I see a call that didn't go the way it should, um, or a defensive call that nobody quite communicated, like I don't even want to know what's going on below the surface in terms of, um, I, in terms of like life, distance learning, school, COVID, um, grandma's sick, and you don't know why, all that kind of stuff. This is not an excuse for sloppy football, but my, I think what we're going to see come true at the end of this football season is what I said at the beginning of the, of the season when it became clear we were going to play. The teams with the absolute best talent are going to dominate this year, and if you are dependent on development, you're going to have a tough year. You didn't have spring practice. 
You didn't have everybody on on campus this summer with for those unofficial practices that we all know were more than unofficial. And you didn't have guys that were able to get in there and get into the culture and get the unofficial leaders moving up the ladder. And so everything that we see going on right now is just an outgrowth of there, there are some changes that need to be made. I'll say that. I'll talk about that in a little bit. And that can be a little bolder than you are. But it's just a weird world right now. And I don't want to sound like some one and two apologist, but I'm, I'm not surprised, I guess, is what I would say. I'm just not because consistency from developmental programs is not going to happen this year. Consistency from developmental programs is not going to happen this year. And Kansas State and Iowa State are testimony to it. They both lost to Sunbelt teams in week one. Um, and then uh, we know Oklahoma's taken a step back this year. That's a given. But um, winning the Big 12 this year, I'd wear the hat if we won it, but it's not going to be the same as winning the Big 12 in 2015, 2014, 2015, or or even 27, if we'd have, if Frogs would have beat Oklahoma in 2017, that's a playoff team that we, we would have beaten. So uh, it's just a weird world. It's just a weird season. And that's that's a little bit of my um, comfort blanket in, during these difficult times. So I think the bad thing about it is at least, you know, comparing it to what we what we eat. I think the first week against Iowa State, we probably got a, a nice little chicken breast, a couple good sides that went against Texas. Nice steak, good, good, good hearty meal, great sides. We're happy. And then last week we get served a bologna sandwich. And no, we, we got we got grandies from a gas station in Eula. <laughs> that's what we got. And I understand the frustrations. Trust me, I do, man. And, and like I said, I don't, I don't know, I don't know what the answer is. I, I could tell you right now the, the fan base wants one guy gone for sure, and I, that's. That's not going to happen. That that's not going to happen within this season. So might as well get used to seeing them all over there on the sidelines. All right. Well, let's dig into both sides of the ball here. Let's take a look at the defense here for a little bit. Um, I thought the defense played 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 great. Aside from two plays, um, the Frogs' defense gave up twenty one points. How in the world are you not happy with that? You know, the Frog defense gave up twenty one points. I feel really good about the way that the defense played. They held, um, you know, they were able to hold them down. I felt, I felt really that 289 yards they held Kansas State to. If you give up 14 points on defense and hold them to 289 yards, you should win that game. That's yeah. a good defensive game in the Big 12, especially. I know you're playing ground and pound Iowa State, and I wish Howard wouldn't be able to just kind of drop back and run 80 yards down the down the middle of the field. To early in the game, but hey, that's what it is. Um, I felt good about the way the defense played. A couple things I want to highlight. Um, that call against our Darius Washington, that was garbage. That's just my professional um, unbiased opinion. I did not like that call, but I do want to give a shout out. I thought D. Winters played pretty well. I feel good about him at, at linebacker. Uh, Wallow is still a step slow at, the, at times, but I feel like D. Winters played pretty well. And aside from those back-to-back sacks in the fourth quarter, I didn't feel like the defensive line did anything right in this game. I felt like that was a real weakness to where they were not able to get to the quarterback. So felt pretty decent about the secondary. I really like what I'm seeing from D. Winters. Defensive line still has a way to go. But in spite of all that, they gave up 14 points, and they allowed only 289 yards. That should get you a win every time. What did you see on the defensive side of the ball, Jeremy? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm there with you. Uh, they, they came out and did what I felt like they should uh, do, especially playing a true freshman quarterback making his first start. And his stat line was horrible. I mean, he completed, I think, eight passes of, on the day. 
Of course, he hit that one route, and we all know what it is, the little wheel route. Um, we knew that was coming, and Kansas State ran that same play three or four times. And unfortunately, the way that – and Gary has told me this before, so I'm not pulling this out of my butt when I say this. I know a lot of people are going to say, you're wrong as linebackers, whatever. Sometimes on certain calls, those defensive ends get caught – one-on-one with those wheel route guys, with those running backs. And if you notice on that 45-yard completion, guess who was hopping up trying to bat that ball down? It was Kari mm-hmm. Coleman. He was, oh, the yeah. one, he was the one dealt with covering that guy. And that's that's one of the things I wish they would change in, in, some, of those, in some of those calls. But I, I know that's why he likes athletic defensive ends. If it's a guy like Marcel Brooks, Marcel – maybe gets an interception there. I don't, I don't know, but defense overall played, played about as good as I, I felt they should. Uh, the one thing that still concerns me, and I know a lot of people don't ever say I talk bad about the program, but I, you re- go back and read that game thread. You'll, you'll see otherwise, but it still concerns me very much that when the offense gets rolling, the defense somehow decides to have a lapse. And it wasn't necessarily when the offense got going because they really didn't get going this game. But when you have Jordy Sandy, who has struggled basically the first two years he's been here, he's pinning them inside the five and he's pinning them inside the eight. Both times he, he inside the 10, both times he pinned them, they scored. They had two 90 yard drives where they put points on the board. That's unacceptable. That is unacceptable. So, and not to mention the first drive, everyone on that was watching at home or anyone that was at the stadium knew 100% that as soon as that quarterback took the snap, he was running up the middle because there was no one there. That's the exact same play they ran with Skylar Thompson last year that led them to a victory in the fourth quarter. How in the world – that no one like no one like coach he's calling those plays why would you evacuate the whole linebacker you evacuated the whole middle and this is what this is what I kept saying during the the, the game thread too when TCU's on offense and they spread out the five guys Kansas State they could care less they kept they kept guys there in the middle you know why you know why they kept guys there in the middle Jeff because last week against Texas, they spread him out, and Max went right up the middle for right the game the and touchdown. Exactly, and Max killed them on the ground last year for 113 yards. So they knew better. They they knew if you take Max's running ability away, we'll dare you to beat us with the pass. We'll 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 try to give you the pass all day long. We'll give you the middle of the field on the seams, but you got to make those completions, and that's not what happened. So I'm getting way off track here, but that's. That's the thing that's so maddening about maddening about that whole that whole sequence because there was there was if you're watching from home, all you see is Kansas State's lineman and the quarterback. And the next closest person that even came came close to making a tackle was Ardarius. And Ardarius with that's about his sixth or seventh missed tackle this year. And you look at those things and you're like, man, if they don't give up that big play, if they don't have those lapses in the defense on on the drives, they probably win this game. But I will say this, Jeff, no matter 
what what I think about their their bad tendencies or anything else, holding a team to 14 points and giving up 289 yards of total offense and allowing a quarterback to complete eight passes should win you a Big 12 football game. It should win you 10 Big 12. If that game was played 10 times, you should win 10 times. That's how good that's how good that defense put TCU in position to win that game. Kansas State was 3 of 13 on third down. 3 of 13. 3 of 13 on third down. That's just punt 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 in the frog. Yeah. We we look we we look we look at the box scores. We look at the numbers cuz that's what we're going to look at. We also identify where where there are lapses in the defense. They gave up big plays. They gave up two big plays. That's that's less than what they gave up against Texas, less than what they gave up against Iowa State. So they're improving in those ways. Defensive line, like you mentioned, I'm still not real happy with it. Um, you saw Corey Bethley and O'Shawn get sacks late in the game. But the, the biggest thing that hurt in this game in particular, after they score, after TCU scores, and – TCU's got to get their defense off the got to get Kansas State's offense off the field. They give up, they give up big run plays. They're not big run plays, but Kansas State's able to run the football. Something that you can't really you you haven't been able to do against TCU for I don't know how many years, but this year all of a sudden they're giving up big time running yards. They're able to basically run down the clock to where they have a minute left. And I think if TCU would have would have been able to stop the run a little bit earlier. They, they get, obviously, better field position and more time on the clock. But this game, I've talked bad about the defense a little bit, but this game is definitely not on the defense. I'm sorry. You 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 limit 14 points and less than 300 total yards of offense to a team that had been averaging 35 points coming into the game. You should win that football game. Your defense did its job. Your offense, they, they, they stayed in the locker room. Yeah, they should have won that football game. That's the bottom line. You know who made my favorite tackle of the game that if everything could have gone right on that last drive that was a cluster, if you ask me? You know who made my favorite tackle of the game? Uh, No, I don't. Eamon Carter. Oh, no doubt, yeah. Eamon, uh, Howard uh, pulls on the zone read, the DN bit, and he just he's got nothing but grass in front of him, and Eamon Carter – rises from the dead and makes a great tackle. The turf monster is uh, undefeated. That's why Gary keeps that keeps that grass the way it is. Yes. Well, it didn't help us win. All right. Well, let's flip over to where the problems may lie, and let's look at the offensive side of the ball. All right. It is easy to say this is all Jared Anderson's fault. I might throw in maybe it's Chris Thompson's fault. You know, what did he do while he was here? Um, I want to start with the real question, though, that is actually substantive. And I'm going to make a statement, and then you correct me or tell me if I'm right. Max was hurt, not benched. True or false? 100% true. He was not benched. Well, that's what I thought. They kept um, – I was watching the TV, and you know they kept referencing his doubting going in there because Max is not, quote, playing well or whatever. But I'm like, even I'm watching. I'm like, he's got banged up. Um, he got banged up right at half t- right before halftime, too. Yeah. He just got nailed. 
Um, and then it, things things were kind of sputtering there in the third quarter when he got hit again. So no, that was Max was hurt and not benched. I'm glad that we're able to clear that up. What what do you think? What 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 have you heard that happened to him? And obviously he's uh, was healthy enough to go back into the game. I mean, he just kept getting hit. I mean, you're taking shots to the rib. You're taking shots to your blind side. Every time you you go back there, I mean, he's he just he just took a beating. I mean, it doesn't help either when he's having to scramble for his life and he's he's turning pass plays into run plays. And it also doesn't help when they're calling stinking quarterback draws for him when he's obviously hurt. So that that's just horrible play calling. I don't know why Meacham was calling those. I really don't. I don't know what if it was Jerry Kill saying to do it, but can't do it. I mean, Max Duggan had 15 carries. He had more, almost double the amount of carries uh, than the next next highest uh, carrier. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Barlow. He had eight Aaron, carries. I've been told by numerous people that you never criticized the program. And you just said Doug Meacham was calling bad plays. He called, and that's what I asked. I even asked Coach P last night. When you have your quarterback that's injured and you're still getting those play calls where he's having to run the football, and Coach said that's that's what their offense is. They have to rely on the, the quarterback runs. But – I'm not in agreement with that. I, I I don't because you've got a stable full of running backs like Barlow and Kendra Miller, who we didn't see that much of, um, DeMarque and, and Zach Evans, that I think could be getting some of those. I, I know that they those Kansas State, and I even mentioned it earlier in the week, how they love the crash, the zone reads, and, and they were going to give it to them. But those linebackers played great for Kansas State. They weren't going to allow those zone read runs like Max got last year on them. They just weren't. They were prepared for it. Uh, they schematically have, they they were way way more prepared on defense than TCU was on offense to to stop those plays. But it's that's the thing. If you keep getting hit after hit, you drop back to pass. You're hit. You have to scramble. You're hit. I mean, that's that's why it came out. It was nothing to do with his ineffectiveness or how he was playing. It, it's just he. He was getting he was getting battered, man. I mean, just you you guys probably couldn't see it on the TV, but when he came out, he went to the sideline. He was trying to throw for a little bit. It looked like something was going on with his ribs. Then he went to the locker room, and they did an X ray, and I guess it came back negative, and he was fine. And he came back out there when he when he was able to get back out there. So had nothing to do with um, with him getting benched. That's why. I wish some people wouldn't knee jerk the way they do and 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 start those kind of things because, I, and I'm glad that even the people that were pissed off beyond belief even came to the defense of Jerry Kill and said that it wasn't it wasn't him pulling Max. It was clearly that Max was hurt and he had to come out of the game. Yeah, Max throws for 153 yards. He's 19 of 31. Um, <sighs> You know, didn't throw an INT. You know, obviously we had that INT from Downing. He's two of four. Uh, maybe don't throw down the middle of the field with him going forward. But hey, they're going to have they they couldn't just hand the ball off. If especially not knowing if Max was going to be back, we had to figure out how to throw the ball, and it, it happened. You know, like I wish he would not have thrown that interception. But you're working with knowledge that we did not ha- that we, you did not possess, which is. Maybe Max is done for the game, and we're gonna. It's, it, it became pretty clear we're gonna have to break a big play, which we never did break to be able to win that game. So I'm not defending that. Hey, Downing threw a pick six that cost us the game. 
But at some point, the ball was going to go into the air again, especially staring down the reality. Hey, maybe Max is going to come back with an x-ray that says he's got a busted rib and he's starting for the next four weeks. So yeah, uh, you can't just say down and hand the ball off between now and Thanksgiving. So that's the thing, Max. It's frustrating. That's the problem is that it's it's frustrating. And the frustration goes back beyond what was happening on the field, which is We've had all this bad luck at quarterback from um, developmental bust to, you know, tragic injuries with Justin Rogers. And um, it's, it's just a tough spot to be in. Yeah. And, and like we've said all along, when you're looking at coming into this game and you're looking at, if you're, if you're diving in deep with Kansas state and you're looking at their record, they very easily could have been one and two coming into that game instead of two and one. Um, the Oklahoma game, that was a great win for them. I personally think they got lucky in some regards. I mean, that they fought till the end, but I, I think they got Oklahoma at a perfect time. But th- this this team was given up. I mean, they gave up 35 points to Arkansas State. They gave up 35 points to Oklahoma. They gave up 21 points to Texas Tech. And the way TCU was playing, yeah, they lost to Iowa State, but they still scored 30 points or 28 points as an offense. They scored 33 against Texas. And you're thinking, okay, this this is – Max is playing phenomenal. He's completing nearly 74% of his passes coming into the game. The offense is clicking. You've got a guy like Quentin Johnson that's stretching the field now. Um, the running backs, Kendra Miller had a great game against Texas. They, they got more rushing yards. Offensive line, whether you want to admit it or not, they looked better against Texas than what they did – uh, against Iowa State, um, especially in the run game. The run game was completely non-existent against three-man front of Iowa State. They actually got 226 against Texas. So in the run game regard, they're better. Pass protection is still garbage. They they can't protect to save their life. Their, their edges, their tackles can't prevent anyone from hitting max. That's going to be a problem going tw- toward the end of the season. It, it's, it's never going to go away. They don't have anyone else that could come in there and beat those guys like Myers and, and Coker. Um, Coleman showed me something. Uh, I, I think Coleman at least deserves to be out there a little bit more. The penalties continued to to kill TCU. And we've we've talked great about Max the first two two weeks of the season. This this game, he kind of did look like old Max a little bit. Kind of had some high throws, kind of had some passes that bounced over the middle. He he missed Pro Wells over the middle, literally bounced the pass to him. And that's Miss something Barber that, on the on the west sideline. Yeah. And, wide open. and that's and that's a play that he's been completing this year. And for whatever reason, Kansas State just seems to have uh every every one of the, the coaches over there's number. Um whether it's an offensive def- or defensive coach, they it, we we had the same thing last year, same thing. We, TCU was kind of reeling. Okay, we have Kansas State coming up. Kansas State's not that good. They're just not. They're 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 overrated. They're this. They're that. And everyone's looking at this. Everyone's looking at the stats. And they go back and watch the game. And you're just thinking TCU's going to go out there and they're going to win this game 28-17 or 31-4. It's going to be one of those top games and people are going to be happy. And then you go out there and you have arguably the worst offensive performance you've had in I don't know how long. So many – I mean, we could talk about the offensive line, Jeff. We could talk about 
the, the for the first time this year, the really the lack of creativity in the play calls, uh, Max's uh, inability to complete passes. We had some drop passes again, but it's I, I don't know I don't know how it gets fixed. I do know it won't get fixed just by changing offensive line coaches. It w- it won't get fixed by bringing in anyone else at, at quarterback. I mean that's not going to happen regardless. Um, what I would like to see is limiting Max's runs. He's a great running quarterback. It's part of the offense. Let him do his thing. But we look at, and I mentioned this on the board and in my thoughts, Darwin Barlow had two carries for 36 yards on the very first drive. Very first possession. He got six carries the rest of the game. That's unexcusable. You've got a guy running the football like that, and he gets six more carries the rest of the game. When people talk about building consistency at the running game, getting in a rhythm, it was right there. And we got all these rotations coming in, receivers, running backs. That's how you recruit. You tell tell the recruits you're going to get a chance to play, but it also affects the way the, the rhythm of your offense gets going. It really does. And when you play a good defense, it's it's gonna it's gonna sh- rear its ugly head even more. I don't think the Kansas State game is anywhere close to being near the end of uh, us seeing a frustrated offense this year. What they do at tailback or running back, excuse me, is is really confusing. They have that I've been able to see three good running backs. I like Barlow. I like Foster. I really like Miller. I feel like they're putting Zach Evans in to make message board fans happy. If he's not the best running back, I don't care what his ranking was out of high school. He's not a better running back than Miller. He should not be in the game ahead of Miller. He's not a better. Oh, you better watch it. He's not a better running back than Barlow. He should not be in the game more than Barlow. And if he transfers because he's fourth on the depth chart, then deal with it. I want to get the best players, but you know who you determine who the best players are? It's what they do on the field, and I haven't seen that yet. I have seen Miller, and I have seen Barlow, and, I've, and I'm, I'm actually surprised at what Foster's been able to do in the passing game. I, I, didn't, I didn't expect that, to be totally honest. I thought he's done pretty well, yeah. but I don't care if I, if I need to watch it because it just happens to be true. I was disappointed in the, uh, the fact they're not getting Spillman the ball. Uh, I, I really think that he needs to be touching the ball a lot more than three or four times a game. Um, obviously, he's he showed great speed on that end around late in the game, and that's that's something that was kind of missing. They didn't do they didn't do as many end arounds. Use those like Tay Barber, Darius Davis, Spillman. They all have great speed on the perimeter. They all have it, and we didn't see that until really late in the game. And that's that's something I really wasn't understanding. And and another thing that I haven't seen, and I know people have mentioned it on the board, it's with, with Stephon Brown. I'm not I'm not you know just posting stuff that's these these champagne dreams. There really is a quarterback on TCU's roster that's six five two thirty, and Gary Patterson himself has said that we would see a package for Stephon Brown if they've got those short yardage situations or. Uh, they get down into the red zone. Let's see them. Let's let's see some of those things. And now he played at Independence Community College, yeah. and if the social media team does not have a last chance, you uh, tweet video in the hopper, they should all be fired. 
when he goes out there and scores a touchdown. He gets in the red zone, runs the old belldozer package. They better have that thing locked and loaded in the drafts. That's all I have to say. And and that's the the one thing I've heard about that. And 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 I was honestly kind of surprised that Gary even mentioned it. But it I've heard it a number of times of how good he looks in those goal line situations early in fall camp. And I'm, I'm really surprised that we haven't seen that yet. Uh, I really am, but it's man. We, we say it a lot. This is another one score loss. And you're just thinking, man, if TC could just figure out how to score seven more points this year, they're going to be really good. And, and up until the first two games, I think the first game, you could obviously blame it on the defense. You shouldn't be giving up 37 points at home. The second game, that was a win. Uh, the defense did give up some big plays, but they also they held t- uh, Texas to 29 points, uh, offensive points. They gave up the safety late, but they held Texas to 29 points. A week after Texas scored 63 at Texas Tech. So they basically cut Texas te- uh, Texas's production in half, and they gave up less plays. But this game right here, man, I, I cannot, I cannot with the right mind. Yeah, defense had some lapses, but your offense has to score more than fourteen points. I'm sorry, they just do, and you've got to. You've it, it's, it starts up front. Um, I know people have been reading a lot into Austin's comments. Being pe- better prepared doesn't necessarily mean he's outing a coach. It's it's talking about all of them as offensive linemen. And with Myers and some of those older guys, we want to put we want to put the blame on Anderson. That's fine. Anderson, no, no matter what, it's like it's like Trump or Biden. No matter what people say about those guys, you're never gonna change people's mind about them. They have their mind made up. They're for TCU fans. They love them as a recruiter, hate them as a coach. You will never, ever change their mind in that opinion. No matter what, Jared Anderson's never going to be a good coach to them. But I find it hard, and he does have a lot of fault with this, the way it's going on right now. But I can't place the blame of the way Myers is because Anderson hasn't coached in the last three years. He, he wasn't responsible for that. Now, does he have to get him right now? Yes, absolutely. But if Myers, if Myers is playing bad, I, I, I've very rarely seen a coach just come in and completely change a player that has not really played left tackle a whole lot in his career, a couple times, and just all of a sudden make him a great player. I don't, I don't think, I don't think we've seen that a whole lot. It's happened, but it hasn't happened a whole lot. And even with with TJ Storm at Myers backup, I can't I can't place the blame of his development on Anderson. Can I place the blame of him wanting him a little bit? But Applewhite also had something to do with that too, because he was at Colorado State with him. So there's a lot of things they could do scheme wise, uh, the way they're they're blocking set up um, to protect Max. I think that could be dealt with by Anderson, but. And as I mentioned on the board, a lot of it also has to do with execution. You cannot just you cannot blame every time a left tackle gives up a sack on a coach. When he makes the change, the next thing that happens if that if that same player or a different player gives up a sack, you could blame the coach because you brought that player in, but 
you can't blame him for the execution. And that's what I've been tra- I've been trying to explain myself in a lot of different ways that you can't you can't solely blame a coach for execution. And that's part of what Austin Meyer said. If y'all saw the video, you would say you would see that he's not putting the blame on a coach. He's not he's not saying they're not prepared because of what Anderson is doing. He's talking about as a as a unit, they have to get better. They have to communicate better. Just like Merrig was saying a few weeks ago about giving up the big plays. They have to communicate better. So there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff and that that needs to be improved. And we all know the people that that watch football and that have played football. We, we all know that it starts in the trenches. And if you're not getting the job done, offensive line or defensive line, it's going to be a long season. Plain and simple. Period. End of story. Let me ask you a question, Jeremy. What is our strategy on offense? What is the what do the frogs want to do when they have the ball? Well, I thought it was to run up tempo and score as fast as they can, but that didn't look like it was on Saturday. No, it does not look that way. And I think that's what startles me so much is I don't know – I don't know what their goal is. I don't know what they're how they how they want to attack the field. I don't I don't even know who's in charge. I I'm, I'm not saying that as a uh, complaint. I think it's just you have to ask yourself what are they trying to do and who's in charge of making it happen. And so is Doug Doug Meacham calling the plays? Is Doug Sonny, is calling the plays? Kills Doug is giving input. Uh, Sonny's giving input. What is Jerry Kill's job? He's basically overseeing the whole thing and and given his input as much as he can. I mean, I don't think it's going to be, I don't think he's out there telling Doug what he needs to run or anything like that. Sonny's up in the box looking at what they see and whether Doug listens or not, I I don't know, but Doug's the one, Doug's the one calling the plays. That is, that is 100% fact. This year we can't, this year it's not the easy out and blame Cumbie for the offense lacking. Well, wait a minute. I was told if we got rid of Cumbie calling the plays, we'd be lighting it up. Well, they were the first two weeks. That's what's you know, crazy. They were. That's the problem. But it's it's a crazy football season, man, and no one wants to listen to us talk about crazy football. But like you mentioned, Jeff, who would have thought Kansas State would lose to Arkansas State? Who would have thought that Iowa State would lose to Louisiana? I mean, those those are decent teams, but – Football, I mean, look at last night. Ole Miss scored, what, 48 against Alabama. Who would have thought that? And uh, A&M, beat, A&M beat Florida. I mean, it's just it's just a weird, stinking season, and, and, I, and I can't explain it. Um, do, I, do I wish for y'all's sake that TCU would win every game? Absolutely. It would make my Sundays and my Saturday nights a whole lot better because all I can envision is a bunch of – bunch of young guys on our board out out at a bar somewhere out at a party looking at the board tipping back some white claws and and getting on the board and talking smack <laughs> so that's that's the way well, i picture you know there's I would, your first I would, problem if you're, drinking, if you're drinking white claw just get off our board let me just say that right now if that's what you're throwing back on a saturday night get, go you know throw that in the trash can where it belongs and go get a case of natty light and shiner i i i think our i think our guys are better than that but I, I i would think a few of them do do tip back some white claws maybe I, I know i know our stronger i know our stronger posters are drinking a little bit something better than that but 
you know, like I said, I, I wish I wish TC would win every game because it it would sure make everyone a lot more happier than than what it is right now. All right, I have two things I want to say, and then we're going to look around the rest of the Big Twelve. First is Barber Johnston Spielman. If they do not touch the ball twelve times a game on offense, not just returning kicks. If they do not touch the ball twelve times a game on a sweep, on a pass, on a on a carry, um, we're going to lose. I want to see those three guys get four touches a game, moving the ball downfield. Mm-hmm. So I think when to answer your question, what are we trying to do on offense? We're trying to go fast and we're trying to score points. Barber, Johnston, and Spielman are the key players in that. I also want to give a shout out to. Uh, Darius Davis has improved. He had, yeah. he had he had stone hands the first couple of years. I don't say that to be mean. Like I think he'd tell you he dropped the ball. I like the way that they are involving him in the offense, and I think they should do it more. So those are the four guys that should be getting the ball um, more than anybody else on offense. The thing so, that it, you know, when we watched, not to interrupt you, go ahead with with Darius. He reminds me so much of Turpin. I mean, maybe it's the size, it's the quickness. I'm not sure if he's as fast as Terp, straight line. But one thing I haven't noticed with us, when when we used to watch Turpin and when Meacham was here, Meacham loved spreading this offense out five wide. I mean, they were sideline to sideline at receiver. And he would set Turpin up with a one-on-one matchup with a linebacker or safety. And they would be so far spread out that the, the slant was so – I mean, go back and watch that Texas game. But they haven't tried to use that once with with Barber, with Spillman, or or with Davis at all, which surprises me because every all three of those guys are a complete mismatch for a linebacker or safety. I don't care who's over them, who's over them, they're going to get open, and we haven't seen that yet. No, we have not seen that yet. So that's something I think needs to change going forward. All right, here comes my second hot take. This is going to be scorching hot. So, Jeremy, brace yourself, buckle up. We may not have time to get to anything else left in the conference and the national scene by the time we're done talking about this. Are you ready? Yep. Being in the Big 12 has taken away all the edge to prove that these players are quality. You look at how many people were on that 14 and 15 team that were recruited to play in the Mountain West or the Big East or even the Big 12 when they hadn't taken a snap in the Big 12 yet. Is it better to be SMU, Memphis, UCF, or Boise State than it is to be TCU, Kansas State, Mississippi State, Purdue? Because when you are a top-flight mid-major, and you get a chance to play one of the top flight uh, power five schools, you are focused beyond focused. There is no reason we should not have an edge on a team like Kansas State. I just think the, I don't want to, entitlement, that's a terrible phrase. I just don't feel like they play with any, I don't feel like they have anything to prove when they're on the field. There's nothing that they're showing me that they they, they got to go take it from them. Yeah. Um, so that that's a that's just an observation that's kind of accrued over time. I feel as if, you know, when Davian Pearson got in your face, I was actually afraid that there was not enough security. I don't see that from anybody. You see anybody that's out there like Daryl Washington or Tank Carter? No. no I know no. that's like subjective bro ball that I sound like I've I've kind of devolved into. 
but it's a trend and it's, I think it's undeniable. You're right about the energy. The energy wasn't there yesterday. And, and I don't know if it's because you don't have the crowds like you're normally used to or, or, or what, but they, it's, it's easy to see you know, all this happen before TVs turn on and you guys might see the coin toss or whatever. But when you're at the stadium and you actually see it, you, you can get a sense of how each team's going to come out by the way they are in the pregame. I'm just telling you. When I watched TCU yesterday and when I watched them against Iowa State, the energy is not there compared to the way it is for the visiting teams. And that's why Gary always says you got to take your own energy on road games. you gotta, you got to do those things. Kansas State yesterday – they looked so ready. It's like they understood how many people were doubting them just the same way TCU used to feel doubted back when they were in the Mountain West and playing these bigger schools. Or even in 2014 when no one was really giving them credit early in the year. And then later in the year, everyone knew how good they really were. But the energy just doesn't seem like it's there. And I, and, and I don't know if that's because you don't have a leadership from the players or if it's coaching, but Gary even mentioned it last night that he felt like the energy there in the ball game isn't there. And I think Austin Myers even admitted it. So if if you go into a game like that, the you've got you've got to have some sort of energy. And you you've you've got to have a great start. Now I thought TCU, the way we saw them start, I thought, okay, they had to punt the first possession. They started off great, though. I mean, Barlow got 36 yards and two carries. And then, for whatever reason, they started to pass the ball. Don't ask me why, but they, they felt like they had to pass the ball. <laughs> then they score on the second possession, and you think, okay, this TCU's they're about to get rolling. They're about, they're about to start rolling here. But anyhow, the energy there, it, it's so obvious in pregame. And Kansas State had a lot more of it. And I'll tell you right now, last year, SMU looked like they were ready to knock TCU's heads off before the game. And it showed. It, it showed on the field. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm in agreement with you there. The, the energy has been really lacking. Well, that's a really hot take from a useless uh, commentator like myself. All right, so the Frogs have a week off here. Um the Frogs have a week off here. They got um, Oklahoma um, the last weekend in October. We'll see how things come around. Let's see if they're able to um, make things happen coming for- moving forward. So, not Well, exactly. I think Oklahoma showed us yesterday that they're going to be tough to stop on offense. They are going to be – we cannot get in a shootout with Oklahoma, and we're going to be in a shootout with Oklahoma. So. Yep. <sighs> All right, well, speaking of Oklahoma, let's recap a couple of games here real quick as we wrap up. Did you see anything of the Texas-Oklahoma game in four overtimes over there in Red River? Uh, not really, because by that time I'm already starting to get, get in my seat, get things ready, and I really wasn't paying much attention to it. Spencer Radler, he's a pretty good quarterback. He did get benched for Tanner Mordecai, and then when he came back out, he was a lot more focused. I'm going to say something a little sympathetic. So if you have, uh, I'll give a little trigger warning that I'm going to have some sympathies for a Texas player. I feel really bad for Sam Ellinger. Yeah. That guy's got heart. 
He's he's not going to be an NFL quarterback of any substance, but he's an he's everything that's right about college football. And he went to Texas, and they won the Sugar Bowl. They should be dang proud of that. But they talk about underperforming the other three years. I feel really bad for him. He doesn't have any. If they didn't have Sam, where would they be? I mean, that's the real question. If Texas didn't have Sam, where would they be? Because they look bad. And I think this is Herman's last year. I don't think Del Conte's going to put up with that. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. If you're a college football fan, you would love to have Sam Ellinger on your team. I mean, that kid, he embodies the University of Texas. I mean, we've all heard it. Kenny Kane said it. Cut me open, I bleed purple. You cut that guy open, he bleeds burn orange. And he is – Texas fans, uh, for whatever reason, they have a, a very big love-hate re- relationship with them. They love him for the great plays that he makes. They hate him for the knucklehead plays he makes. But overall, he's been a tremendous player for their program. You talk about, about a guy that just grew up loving Texas, wanted to do anything he could to, to get – to that campus, be a football player for that program. And he's – you're right, Jeff. If they didn't have Sam, that program would be in a lot worse disarray right now. Promise you. Um, he's he's one of those kids that he's probably not going to play in the pros. If he does, he's probably going to be a career backup. But for what he's been able to accomplish at Texas, it's, it's pretty remarkable. I don't know if you saw, but – you know, when they play the eyes of Texas now, they don't require the players to stay out there. And I've seen some pictures surfacing online that when they played the eyes of Texas, he's the only player out there for it when they uh, did it after the game. Yeah, that's what they had after the in at the game in the Cotton Bowl yesterday. It was just him. It was just him. Now I know that there was a there was some issues on campus this summer talking about the um, Robert E. Lee and racist origins of that song, and I understand that, but. Um, I also think everybody just wanted to get off the field. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I, I don't fault people's concerns about that, but at the same time, I think every one of those players was just like, we're done. So. Yeah, I, I get that. But yeah, I, if TCU's already kind of getting that player right now with Max Duggan, people, people are beginning to love Max more and more, but they still – they, they, they still don't want to commit fully, you know, because he's still making some young mistakes. But I think he – I think Max could definitely be the type of player that TCU fans are going to be adoring just like they did Boykin when he played before and you know, before he left TCU. But – and Andy. I, I think I think Max is going to hold fans and uh, – the fans are going to hold Max in high regard before it's all said and done. Well, we will see how that goes. Um, Iowa State, they took the wood to Texas Tech. Jeremy, tell me, is anybody going to be, is anyone going to keep Iowa State out of the Big 12 title game this year? You know me and my fascination with Matt Campbell. I don't think so. I think they're playing really good football right now. I think they're, they're playing really good defense. And um, if you look at it right now, is TCU the highest? point total they've allowed this year wait they, yeah they scored more than oklahoma did they i think did they more than louisiana louisiana lafayette though uh yeah because they scored 34 and lafayette scored 31 yep so the answer is yes i'm gonna love it if iowa state runs the table and makes the playoff i will not lie i'll be all for that all for it 
Well, I mean, the way it looks now, it's it's a Kansas State, Oklahoma State, and Iowa State battle. I think so too. I think Oklahoma State's in the driver's seat, and you know, if Sanders is back, if Gundy can kind of keep his keep his head on straight, I think they're the I think they're the team to beat in the Big Twelve, and I think this is the year that Oklahoma State's going to run the table. If I had to bet right now. Until they lose like a 55 to 52 shootout in Bedlam. Well, that's what I was going to say. Until they lose, a, a, until like a 500 Oklahoma team beats them in Bedlam, which would be <laughs> so poetic. But I will say Oklahoma State's playing really, really good defense right now. I mean, they, them along with Iowa State are, and, and yeah, them and Iowa State, they're, they're probably the two top defenses in the Big 12. Who's the best quarterback in the Big 12? Oh, man. That's a good question. Because I don't think anyone has just really, really set themselves apart. I think if Max would have went out there and had another good game like he did against Texas, you could make the argument that he's the best quarterback in the Big 12. Um, but as far as stats are concerned, and well, if we want to look at it from a perspective of if you lost this player, how bad would that team be? I mean, obviously, if you lost Max, it's not going to be very good. We all saw that. Woo! Um, but if, if, if Iowa State lost Brock Purdy, they would. I don't even know who their backup is. If Texas lost Sam, they would be in a world of hurt. We saw Spencer Rattler get benched, and Mordecai, I think, led them to a couple of drives. Spencer Sanders has been out, but their true freshman quarterback's been playing well. Yeah. Um, Kansas State obviously had their true freshman play well. The other day, um, I think it's uh, to be honest, it's either Brock or Sam. To be completely honest, but as far as potential goes, I think Spencer's pretty dang good. Yeah, I think it's I think it's Purdy, Sam, and Rattler, and that's just a snapshot of where things are right now because Rattler's got the biggest upside. Purdy's probably going to go to the Big Twelve title game, and uh, Sam is just I, I respect the hustle, even though the the talent around him's not there. So. And he's just one of those kids that you don't know when he's going to make a mistake because he's going to make a mistake. That's been the the whole knock on him his whole career. He's going to make a mistake at some point. You just don't know when it's going to happen. But it he's happens, got a five-star right heart. There. What's that? But he's got a five-star heart. There you go. <laughs> That's right. All right. Well, hey, you got anything else to add? Let's bring this episode to an end unless you got anything for the good of the cause, Jeremy. No, I think we've pretty much – Said what we needed to. All right. Well, we are going to bring this episode to an end. Appreciate everybody listening to the Frogcast. If you haven't yet, go to iTunes and give us a rating and review. We would love for you to share the good news. If you see us on social media, on Facebook or on Twitter, please share or retweet. Get the word out about this podcast. We are glad to come here to you every Monday morning in your uh, podcasting app of choice, updating the highs and the highs and the lowest of the lows of TCU football. Also, if you haven't yet, we want to encourage you to go to hornfrogblitz.com and join our community. It gives you a great chance to gather with some very calm, level-headed, non-anxious, non-responsive TCU fans that take everything in stride where there's zero overreaction. All right, a little sarcasm there. Go to hornfrogblitz.com. We're proud members of TCU 24-7 Sports. We would love for you to join us. Until next time, for Daniel Southern, for Jeremy Clark, I'm Jeff Mitchell. Thanks for listening to the Frogcast.